0: Evening. No, I am not one of the Blair brothers. Would have been nice. I'm too tall. Would have been an interesting story. But um <laughs> Apparently I look like Jesus. That's gotta be something. And uh but I do get to get away with wearing skinny jeans and oversized shirts and long hair. But um I just want to acknowledge what Frank did you guys feel the shift in the room towards the end of like what he was saying? It just felt like, man, like what you were saying, like the light was just shone on that thing and my heart was just like coming out of my chest as I started to get greater revelation of what Jesus did for me and the freedom that that means. So I, I just want to pray because I don't want us to forget about that. I almost want that to overflow into what I'm about to say. So God right now we just we just thank you for the wisdom that we got to be exposed to. We thank you for your love that is upon us. We thank you for your hands that stretched out towards us. We thank you for your grace that goes beyond. And we thank you for the freedom that is free for us to receive God and and Jesus, we desire more than anything to be made to look more like you and live like you and tell the world about you. And we know that worship is so crucial and so fundamental to that, God. And we really just pray that you know, our worship will, will go to deeper places from this moment forth. Amen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a praise-centered life. And um I'm no theologian, but I love God, <laughs> and um, I want to start with this question that I've heard a certain preacher mention a few times, and it really has done a lot to me, and he, he asked this question, why in our worship services or worship times, doesn't God just show up? We know he could, we know he's capable of it, why doesn't he? Because then our worship would be involuntary. And I think it speaks deeply into how God thinks. I think he longs to see his people shaped by the determination to exalt him no matter what the circumstances are. I think there is a shaping and a forming that happens in those moments, not for just who we are now, but for who we are being made into. The faith we find in those moments sets sets us up for life and matures us to be able to steward the things God gives us correctly. Giving him praise in the middle of adversity and in the middle of any circumstance shapes us into a people that are determined to worship him based on who he is, not on what is happening around us. If what we say here today doesn't draw us into a deeper hunger for revelation and experience of him, then I think we're starting to miss the point. And sometimes we allow theology and understanding to satisfy us enough that we don't get drawn into a true and genuine breakthrough experience. We are designed to be a people of ever-increasing freedom and breakthrough. And I believe a life that is completely laid down to the Father as an act of worship is how this starts to happen. David is best known for the Psalms. He found a way to process disappointment and despair, to show his love and, his, and express glory to the Father And he also allowed his heart to be a reminder of who it was that he was worshiping, no matter what the circumstance was before him. He ministered to the heart heart of God in a way that no one else did. He understood something of God's character that even before Jesus came, showed us and gave us a glimpse into the early church. Jehoshaphat, after seeking out God's presence and trying to figure out what to do when he was surrounded by three various tribes and armies. He decided to line his army with worshippers that went out singing songs. And in a moment of what must have been pure glory, those armies turned on each other, and Jehoshaphat's city was delivered from that. In Matthew, we see Jesus worshipping before he went to the cross. In Ephesians, it speaks about Ephesians 5:18. It speaks about the Holy Spirit inspiring songs in us. Revivals that have swept through cities were often ignited in a worship out of a people and expression that hungered after the Father. Worship and worship music has been ingrained into history, and it is crucial. It is fundamental to who we are as a people. Not just a song, not just a melody but an expression of our hearts and a life laid down. Before I go into scripture, I want to read one last quote from C.S. Lewis that I really love. He says that the perfect church service would be the one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would, be, would have been on God, but every novelty prevents us. It fixes our attention on the service itself, and thinking about worship is a different thing than worshiping. It's this mad idolatry that makes the service greater than the God. And don't get me wrong, every Sunday I love what I get to be a part of. I consider it one of the greatest privileges that I get to lead people time and time again into God's presence and watch people raise their hands, fall on their knees, pray a prayer, find that moment of surrender, find the moment when they truly realize who it is they're worshiping. And I believe what we get to do here is absolutely fundamental. But the idea that something of our worship can become so all-encompassing with God's presence that we actually forget why we were even here to start with really grabs me. I think that's the type of worship we want to have in this church. I think that's the type of people we want to be. So to get stuck into a little bit of some thinking, I'm going to go to Genesis 22 where we see where we, we kind of think about the, or, or look at the law of first mention, where Abraham is asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. So I want to read from Genesis 22, I think it's verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Just remember that. That's really crucial to what we're talking about. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Just imagine Abraham in that moment. I try and connect with that a little bit, what that would have felt like. Isaac wasn't just a a son to him. It, It was a promise that had been fulfilled. God had promised him and 25 years later Isaac was finally born. This was a big deal. To hear your son say, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It must have Choked him up a little bit. (laughs) Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Worship is an act of surrender. Abraham had to get to the point of surrendering his own heart desire to honor God. I think 90% of the life that we live is learning how to surrender things over to him every single day. Learning to trust God, learning to let, let go of control. And only when we finally figure out how we place God in rightful position in our lives can we truly surrender to him. But unfortunately, circumstances so often dictate our ability to do that. In John 4, it speaks about God seeking out those that will worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, I love this for various reasons, but first of all, the fact that God is looking, is gazing, is seeking out those that will worship Him, is quite profound for me. God has taken quite a few steps towards me to have my heart, and yet, even today, even now, He is still out there, Looking for people that will worship him in spirit and truth. He is gazing across the earth looking for worshippers. Why is this so important to him? You see, I think God knows that we will become and we will resemble that which we worship. We've been designed to worship something. We know that the greedy person idolizes money. The selfish person prioritizes themselves over everyone else. The fear-driven person has submitted themselves to earthly realities rather than heavenly truths. We start to resemble that which we worship. God desires to be worshipped not because he needs our constant gratification and edification, but because he desires followers that reflect and become more like himself. What would be the point of reflecting the ultimate hope to the world if the world didn't need it? In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In Romans 8.29, it says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, And to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And 1 Peter says, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. We are made into that which we worship. Now, starting to understand and know that fundamental to worship is this idea of surrender. Well, how can we practice this? How can we do this every single day? And I've spoken about this maybe a few times in church. and I want to talk about it again. But in Psalm 100, it says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praises. In Psalm 101, we worship at his footstool. And I want to just dig into a little bit of these these three dimensions that are here before us. Because I think it, it shows us how through simple practice, and ways of worshiping, that we can actually find ourselves in these moments of surrender. So let's start with thanksgiving, because that's what we enter his gates with. This is the practice of giving thanks to God. In Psalm nine, verse one, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Thanksgiving is a response to the acts of him, to what he does, to that healing, to my salvation, to that moment of provision to that job, to that wife, to that husband, but being thankful for the things he has done for the acts of God. What thanksgiving does is it shifts our hearts off what's in front of us when it's potentially not going the way we anticipated onto the evidence where you have seen him and you have seen God work before. It stirs faith and it fuels praise. Philippians 4, verse 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right there, he is telling us that anything that makes us anxious, anything that we need to bring before him in prayer, pair it with thanksgiving. There's been... Countless times in my life, countless times in this church, where I've watched how Thanksgiving has shifted a room, where we walk in, and for a moment, especially on Sundays, you've got maybe 20% of the room are parents, and they're just pumped that they're not 15 minutes late, they're only five minutes late because their kids had a massive fight in the car on the way home. They walk into worship, and they're just trying to catch their breath. You watch how the couple that maybe didn't quite see eye to eye this morning, what church service they're going to go to, come in and they're a little bit jarring. But because I lead worship every single Sunday, I watch how the room shifts throughout worship. I watch how when we start with those first initial songs of thanksgiving, of praise, how it almost like, for some people, you can see it, it's, they're not quite there. It jars a little bit with what's going on in them, and that's that's cool, like, you know, So be it, like God's going to do something regardless, and he's going to shift you whether you like it or not. It's just our ability to submit to it, isn't it? And I watch in, in Praise and Prayers on Sundays how this happens time and time again. And I think if we, as a people, as a community, learn how to live in a pattern of thanksgiving, learn how to bring thanksgiving into our everyday life, it will shift what happens when we get together. It will shift what happens in our worship Times. Instead of us spending, I mean I just want to give you a vision, instead of us spending like ten minutes just trying to warm the room up, imagine what would happen if the room walked in warmed up. It sounds really simple, but and I think part of our role as a church is that we're always gonna have new believers and people wrestling with concepts and new to faith and that. But man, like just imagine if fifty percent of our church started to get this thing right. What would start to shift in our worship? Maybe we would start to move to greater places of surrender. Maybe stuff would start to happen in those moments of praise. Like, let that inspire you. So I want to move on to praise. Because now we're in the courts. We've entered through the gates. It's quite crucial that we move from thanksgiving. Praise is what comes when we associate the acts of God to who he is and his character. You see, it's no good us just being grateful from experience to experience because there will come a time when an experience will challenge your faith. It will challenge what you believe. And if you don't have the capacity, the fuel to look back on your life and be thankful for what God's done there and he's done there and he's done there, then you're not going to have anything to stir a fire in you to praise through what's in front of you right now, today. So we have to learn to take what God has done and his acts and associate that with who he is. We can't just go, God healed that person, thank you. We have to fundamentally believe that God is our healer. And that's, that's massive because in a moment's when I pray for someone and they get healed, it is, it's easy to be thankful, hey? If you see a miracle right in front of you, right then and there, it's like, God, you're so good, I love you, so grateful, thankful, give him praise, give him glory, like in those moments, it's our natural response. But what happens when you don't quite see that breakthrough? What do we have? Does our idea of who God is start to change? Or are we able to look back on what he's done and look sickness in the face and go, I know who my God is. I know he is my healer. I have seen him come through time and time again. And right now I'm going to praise him because I know who he is. And your thankfulness starts to fuel your praise. Psalm 34, verse 1 says, I'll praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will constantly speak of his glories and grace. I will boast of all his kindness to me. His character, his kindness. Let all who are discouraged take heart. So right there in that scripture, us speaking of his glories, of his grace, boasting of his kindness, boasting of who he is, no matter what, let all who are discouraged take heart. Let us praise the Lord together. Our praise, when we come together as a church on a Sunday at a praise and prayer, whenever it may be, it will fuel something in a person. It will bring a person into what we have faith for. Our praise is powerful. It might start to shift you, but it will shift the person next to you. When someone else doesn't have faith, or maybe you're in a position when you don't have faith for something, look at what's happening around you. Have you noticed how when we show those, um, when we're showing like testimony videos and doing the back God cards, like if you're going through something and we start to get into that space, like it shifts you, it changes you, it gives you faith for something new, it gives you faith for your own journey, what God's doing in your life or what challenge you're facing currently. When you listen to someone else's testimony, it shifts you from going, God, I'm not sure if you're in this to, man, I believe you're in this. So let your praise inspire other people. And when you don't have faith for it, let the people around you, let their praise lift you up. Hebrews 13, verse 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks in his name. I think sometimes praise is the only thing that's going to actually carry us through the hardest of times. And... Um, I think we need to praise as if our breakthrough is on the other side of the song. Praise like we mean it. Abraham allowed his conviction around who God was to give him faith for what was going on right then and there with him and his son. If he had forgotten that, there's no telling what he would have done. Would he have taken Isaac up the mountain? Would he have been obedient to God? But something in him, something of his experience with the Father already, gave him faith. It helped him trust. It helped him be obedient to what God was asking of him. Every time life presents something to us that is difficult, we have a choice about how we're going to respond to it. We either submit to the fear of the circumstance, or we turn to thanksgiving and praise to carry us through. Now I want to go into worship. Because in Psalm 101, it speaks about us worshiping at his footstool. And I love the the imagery of that. It's intimate. It's personal. It's close. And I think it resembles the deepest um, act of surrender that we can have before him. So how do we get there? What does it look like? What do we do? In Galatians two twenty, it says, "I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me." James four verse ten says, "Humble your souls before the Lord, and He will lift you up." Matthew six, but seek first His kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We surrender our souls to flying because we trust the pilot. We surrender to surgery because we trust the doctors. Sometimes. Do we completely trust God enough to be completely surrendered? Or has our revelation of him not reached that point? And that's okay. It is only when we truly believe that he is who he says he is that we can do this. I believe that on, from my experience here, we quite, we quite easily get to thanksgiving and praise in worship. We go there. Every Sunday, my desire is that we will be a worshiping community, though, that we will be the community that is a church full of lives laid down, that we will be a community that is completely surrendered to Him, whether it's in song, whether it's in response to our heart, but that we will daily choose to lay our life down for Him as an act of worship. I want us to believe the scripture when we read it out, because we trust them. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I think as a community or as a person for yourself, our ability to, to spend time with God, to withdraw, and to connect with Jesus is so important in this process. You know, there's two moments where Jesus withdraws from his mission, from what he was doing, that, are, that speak quite loudly to his relationship with God. In Luke 5, it tells the story of when crowds were, people were starting to care about Jesus and what he was doing, and crowds were gathering, and it says that Jesus withdrew as people were coming to him for healing. Now, I think we can look at that and read through that quite quickly, but I want us to just bear this in mind. Jesus can heal anyone that asks for healing. But instead of taking the time to lay his hands on people and to heal those that needed it, he chose to go and spend time with the Father. Like that must have been quite a pill to swallow for those people. <laughs> like you've heard of him, you know what he can do, and you believe in the miracles every time he lays his hand on someone. Who knows what you've done to get there? But yet he goes, this here is so much more important than what I get to do here. And it speaks so loudly of how important it was for Jesus to stay connected to his father. When he mourned, he did exactly the same thing. When John dies, he withdraws and he goes and spends time with the father. How often are you doing this? Are you able to draw near to him daily and have moments like Jesus' experience with the Father. Because every time we do, it's an opportunity for us to lay ourselves down and give God the opportunity to vindicate the circumstances we may find ourselves in. It's an opportunity to refine our faith and see the things we face through a redemptive perspective. And this comes through seeking Him out. So we've looked at these three dimensions. Is that starting to make sense? Everyone's just looking at me. I know it's late. Um, but does this make sense? Like, It's really simple. You know, Let's be thankful. Let's develop a culture of thanksgiving. Then let's make sure we don't stop there. Let's make sure we go, okay, God is this, this, and this. He is who you say he is. The acts resemble that. And he, his acts flow out of who he is because in his nature, he is good. But then it doesn't stop there because, because we know who he is, because we so, badly, we so trust him, and we have such a conviction of who he is in our lives that the next step of faith for me is to go, well, God, I want to lay myself down to you. I want to trust you in every single aspect of my life. Let this shape you. Let this, as we go forth, as you go about your day from tomorrow, let this thing stir up in you. Worship involves sacrifice. So just as Abraham referred to the act of sacrificing Isaac before God, he called it worship. Abraham had accepted that this was an act of worship to God. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, 16, it says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. You know what, when we reach when we reach heaven one day, we're going to be completely whole, perfect having the best time of our lives, worshiping God. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a crazy experience. I'm not quite sure how to even begin to describe it. Maybe go read Revelation. they will freak you out enough. But, you know, Paul Johnson speaks about this moment in his life where his father died, and he, he felt like he had a choice to either go, okay, God, I'm either going to sit at his bedside, and I'm just going to be sad, I'm going to mourn, I'm going to do what you would normally do in that situation. Or I'm going to take a moment that while I'm on earth, it's really the only time I'm ever going to experience, we'll never experience pain, we'll never experience loss or hurts when we get to heaven. And this is is kind of a really beautiful way of looking at this life through this lens, kind of a redemptive lens, but making the choice to go, okay, God, right now, at this point, in this moment, at his bedside, he made a choice to praise God and offer it as worship to him. But he did it knowing that this was his only opportunity. This life is it. It's the only opportunity we'll ever have to do that. When we get to heaven, our worship is going to be flawless, perfect, beautiful, out of the greatest revelation as we looked him face to face. But our worship that comes out of pain and trial and difficult times, well, this is all we. this is our only, what, 90 years, maybe 100 for some of you. (laughs) This is all we got. This is our window to do that. And I think, like, if we to have vision for those seasons of lives, like those seasons that we experience in life, I think that's really powerful, man. I think, I think as we believers respond to God in those ways, imagine what that does to the people around us that don't quite know how to deal with pain. Because that's, the greatest challenge when we find ourselves in those moments, like, what, what do we do with this? <laughs> what do we do? This is so sore. And yet there is a beautiful offering that in the midst of that, that we get to pour out at his feet. we get to pour out before the Father. I love that. I think that's the most beautiful sacrifice that we can make. Worship is an act of faith. Abraham, he somehow knew that he'd be returning with his son Isaac. Even though his faith was being tested, because God had asked him to lay down the very thing that he loved most. Just imagine what it felt like after 25 years of waiting for Isaac to be born, to be in this moment, knife raised, ready to to, um, sacrifice Isaac. Abraham had to show the very thing that God promised him could not supersede the one who gave it to him. And sometimes when we get through the season, when we get to the promise, we fall into the trap of allowing the promise to supersede the promiser. And I think that's potentially why God tested Abraham the way he did. Because he wanted to make sure that Abraham knew who he was. He wanted to make sure that Abraham had laid this thing down before Because God knew, God had seen the journey, God had allowed Abraham to wait, he understood. But he knew that if he had just given it to him, if he had just done it the easy way, then maybe for a moment in Abraham's life, he would have thought, I've got this all together, let me just go off on my own path and do it my way. And God's just trying to affirm his authority and demands Abraham's obedience to him. If you lean into the very thing you need faith for today and you see it through and allow God to shape you, that will be your fuel for worship that you'll need to get you through tomorrow's challenge. In 1 Peter 1 verse 7 it says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. That's beautiful. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith is far more, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, I will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. In James 1, verse 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kind. Consider it joy, because you know that the testing of your faith. Develops perseverance and allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. I think us being made to resemble, reflect the image of God, as it speaks about in John 4, that he's looking for worshippers, I think it so deeply links to this journey of faith. Because those two, the, the concept of worship and the concept, concept of faith intersect every single day. Praise will carry us through, faith will fuel it. And it's this beautiful like swing between both as we submit ourselves, as we figure this journey out. But to go into it, to go into every season, to go into everything that life throws at you with the perspective that when we face a trial, be joyful. That we're encountering trials, persevere, allow its work to be finished so that we can be mature and lack nothing. Like this all speaks into who Jesus was. He was fully, completely holy and perfect. He lacked nothing. And that is the person we want to be made into. And I hope that as I unpack this, just some of the ideas of, of worship, of surrender, of sacrifice, of faith, that you feel that your worship can take you step by step closer to resembling the image of Jesus. Cool. Amen.